Exactly. You know what? No one understands me. Okay. Yeah. I drink at all hours of the day and yeah, yeah. I'm destructive. <laughs> yeah. I need therapy, but like, but it's like so cute, you know, <laughs> it's like cool, you know, it's so like neat. I've never had an original thought in my life, but like, <laughs> I, I think you are That's maybe I have. the most interesting person I've ever met. Joelle. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> and we're the, the coolest cool next door, door of the spotless mind. Yeah. Uh, and happy February. We made it. Because that's when it is. Yep. It's yep. February. And we're in our Tainted Love yeah. series. Um, previously, we had a romance gone wrong, which is not as fun of a title as Tainted Love. And I take a lot of pride. In, in our, our series, Gabe does like spearhead our naming. <laughs> so many things. Yeah, I am to blame for the natty disasters, and I still that think was about such it a great. <laughs> I still think about it fondly all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> for uh, people listening, we are the Ghouls Next Door Media Literacy Show from a horror lens, where we explore the real life historical and psychological reasonings behind our cinematic fears. And uh, today, the fear is commitment <laughs> the fear is two flawed beings not ever hearing each other and yeah. uh therefore not having a good relationship it breaks up it comes back you've been there yeah. we know it's, toxic it's literally like um gen x should get therapy a movie. yeah <laughs> a movie, uh, yeah talk like about a documentary feelings. even yes. <laughs> of like any gen x relationship <laughs> Uh, that I've personally witnessed in my life uh, oh, no. just go horribly wrong um, in that no one says how they feel about anything ever and when they do it always comes out super mean mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's not like honesty it is just like oh wow that was really rude you could have said that differently such a, um, Joel is such a Scorpio like straight up <laughs> straight up it yeah i uh so we're we watch uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind as yeah, yeah as adults mm-hmm. and uh because you know everyone's seen it i feel like um but seeing it in new eyes and actually being able to understand what's going on and also having lived lives where you know maybe you wanted to forget someone uh, especially yeah. when it's fresh you know when you first get out of a relationship and you're like this is the absolute worst thing that I've ever gone through today and <laughs> I yeah. don't want it I don't want this it hurts and it super does um yeah and, and it can so, mess with your mind yeah. it's there's actual science behind that it really uh just like anything else it really depends on like who you are what kind of support mm-hmm. systems you got in your life how you deal with change and if that messes with your brain yeah but it, it can traumatize you in a real and visceral way that messes with your entire brain chemistry 
Fun fact. <laughs> yeah, which we will we will get into. Um, and in our Tain and Love series, we are going to be covering things that aren't explicitly horror, um, mm-hmm. because sometimes love itself is horror. <laughs> Just like, and I think having your memories ripped from you, even like if you were consenting at first, like his safe word never gets hurt. Right. Like he's yeah. trying to say no that whole time. Um, and that's really scary. And losing chunks of your life can be really scary. Um, confronting your flaws and having someone shout them at you is, is horrifying. So uh, I think it fits. <laughs> like it, yeah. it works. The and premise gonna... itself, definitely super scary. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, just like, as you said, Gabe, there's just so much not consent taking place in that process. And when it's so readily accessible like that, you're taking like a really big decision and making like both characters kind of make it on a whim without much consultation. They're like, we saw you today. Come tomorrow. Mm -hmm. We're going to race your brain. There's no like, let's see if you're okay. Yeah. (laughs) First or after, like there's really little medical intervention that takes place before they do this like really invasive and personal procedure so definitely horror yeah yeah this uh, lacuna is definitely preying on vulnerable people um for this procedure like we don't even know how much it is but it's clearly like these are people who are in these rough situations and if you're at that point where you're not really making like sound decisions because it's all emotionally based um you're going to end up with some people who are regretting it the whole time. And we see that there's really gross um, abuse of this power as well taking place. Like there's a villain, (laughs) like besides just Lacuna, the organization Mm -hmm. is a villain. Um, But uh, Patrick uh, slash Frodo, um, (laughs) he is the worst. It's so terrifying. Um, Same thing with the doctor as well. Yeah. Yeah. takes advantage of his position yeah i think that's really not vetted very yeah. much in the hiring process but <laughs> yeah i think also um he like nobody in this film is good Mm-mm. right like no one's a good person um no. none of them right and i think that's normal. like really interesting i think it was it, usually that's a big turnoff for me if i can't find at least one character to like care about but even though they weren't good people I still cared about them like they all do really horrible things or say really horrible things like even the friends like the fact that they gave him that card problem they clearly had a relationship problem <laughs> like his yeah. friends um and uh yeah there's just like a lot like every single character you you learn about um except for like the wife of the doctor mm-hmm. <laughs> say the only one it was just like yeah well, yeah they're like uh, very human in a way that you kind of wish they were like slightly better but uh you do still like care kind of about mm-hmm. what's happening to some of them for sure yeah yeah for sure so um if you haven't seen eternal sunshine of the spotless mind um get out of that rock get out from under there uh go watch it it is a i think cinematically it is a fun film i think it was really interesting to make there are some pretty funny parts as well um and i think jim carrey did a great job kate winslet also a great job um and the story is like it's an emotional thing there's a lot it's a roller coaster and i do really i would love to know what like a gen z 
person Virgin. thinks of oh yeah <laughs> of this like i want i want to hear like, if they're gen z and you yeah. watch this film email us at gmail.com and tell me what your thoughts are i really yeah. want to like gen, you know generation of like therapy is totally cool <laughs> i don't know yeah there's also like i want to know like people who watched it when we did like in the early 2000s when our brains were developing and not fully within our healing journey even like we were mm-hmm. younger when we watched this film yeah for the first time at least like it was in the early 2000s this came out yeah uh so watch it again as a whole adult and let us know if you still like it as much. Uh, yeah. And it's cool if you do. I mean, I'm not the only one who has opinions. Yeah. And uh, if it's, you know, one of your favorite films or whatever, let me know too. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to hear. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, I think I would actually need to watch it again. I, I was like, I don't know. I'm still piecing together my feelings. Yeah. Um, but when I do it. <laughs> tell you about eternal sunshine of spotless mind which was from 2004 all those all those years ago what a time period that was for me in my life so (laughs) you you know um so it is about when their relationship turns sour a couple undergoes a medical procedure to have each other erased from their memories forever and is directed by michelle gondry um and yeah it is boring boy meets quirky girl and he loves her spontaneity and Mm -hmm. she loves how he loves her (laughs) but when quirky girl is revealed to actually be impulsive and reckless girl and boring boy is actually mean and judgmental boy they break up classic (laughs) we've all been there Mm -hmm. uh eternal sunshine and spotless mind is an incredible uh incredibly creative exploration of memory and relationships and how much of love is the memories built together and our raw feelings for one another it kind of explores you know where the line is between those things um and in creating this script, screenwriter uh, Michelle Gondry said, soon I had a completely different idea of how I should do Eternal Sunshine. It became about memories, how we are our memories and how our memories affect our lives. Losing them before you die is tragic. Um, so definitely understanding uh, the importance of preserving your memories. Uh, but also, I mean, trauma just straight up erases those mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes. So this is kind of like your forcing trauma to do that which is kind of interesting um the film follows joel and clementine an unlikely pair in the midst of a recoupling uh, a fiery breakup and their very beginning and -hmm. while mourning his breakup joel is informed that his impulsive ex-girlfriend went through a procedure to erase him from her memories and to forget him and their life together and joel decides in a moment of his own anguish and despair to get the procedure himself um so this like it's told out of order, which is really fun, because um, when you first see them, you don't realize it's the second mm-hmm. time they meet. So, um, and then we get to kind of like go backwards and uh, watch how they fell apart, and then we watch how they fell in love, and yeah. it's just a really fun kind of backtracking and just showcase of relationships, which is kind of like it, it really did remind me a lot of Five Hundred Days of Summer, then that approach of like the moving in time where it's just like this day and mm-hmm. it's like an early day where it's like cute and they do these things and they're in love and then it's like a later day and it's like those same things that we do now there's this different tone there's a different color theme <laughs> like when we first see joel it's all blue and as soon mm-hmm. as Clubby comes into his life now it's color returns, and, yeah yeah colors here it's a bright time 
she is representing this opportunity for happiness for him. Um, and so in a lot of times, in a lot of ways, uh, Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind is a twisted version of the rom-com. Because uh, it shows us what happens after the meet cue, after they go through the initial struggles to be together. Now they're together. What happens like post happily ever after? Um, yeah. And the film shows us the flaws and the character tropes that we've come to find cozy. And year years before the term was coined, Clementine dismantles the manic pixie dream girl idea. Um, Nathan Rabin, who uh, initially kind of described this this trope. Um, described it as a bubbly, shallow, cinematic creature that exists solely in the fevered imaginations of sensitive writer-directors to teach broodingly soulful young men to embrace life and its infinite mysteries and adventures. Um, mm -hmm. We see those in what you would imagine uh, Zoe Deschanel's character would be in 500 Days of Summer, although she isn't. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you see that in uh, John Green's uh, <laughs> teen reads. Uh, you see that in Elizabethtown, Kirsten Dunst. Mm -hmm. um, and Zoe Deschanel a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a, a lot, poor thing. Um, yeah. And so that's definitely like a trip that happened. It just wasn't labeled <laughs> before, like by the time Clementine was out, but yeah. um, she is like actively like personifying and also dismantling it, which is really interesting. Like I think of her hair color changing as like Scott Pilgrim, <laughs> you know, like how he remarks yeah. every time she changes her hair. And I'm just like, it's nothing to do with you, but she's a quirky, you know? Uh -huh. um, and those first glimpses of Clementine feel much like the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Um, she wears bright sweaters and she changes her hair and she's loud and attention seeking, just what Joel needs as he muses to himself about how bored he is um, and how maybe, you know, he's missing out on life. You know, mm -hmm. he kind of explains like, oh, I'm very boring. Like, look at my journal. There's nothing in here. And she just asks like, how does that make you feel? Like I am anxious that I'm not doing everything I should be doing with my life at all times. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is something that he just like never verbalized. So yeah. um, it's definitely something that he needed. And so that's kind of where <laughs> the manic pixie dream world comes from is this idea that like, she's just this force that propels him into um, a better place. Um, and she's just this tool for his betterment. Um, mm -hmm. And just this like, you know, she could be quirky and weird and dance in the rain. Uh, <laughs> and so now he can let loose a little and not be as, yeah. you know, he could, along came Polly himself. Yeah. Um, There's so many <laughs> movies that do it. <laughs> like, I'm like, they're all coming. Um, complaining that he uh, complains about how sand is overrated. It's just small rocks. Yep. And Valentine's Day was made to sell candy and make people feel really bad about themselves. He's just musing the whole time. He's just like, I'm miserable. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, she's got a nice sweater. It's so bright. What a crazy sweater. Um, I'm sad. <laughs> yeah. And then she's like, hi. <laughs> I've had lots of alcohol. I am. <laughs> I am. And he's so like, fun. Uh, cool. Um, as the story progresses, we learn that these quirks are actually veiled red flags uh, of Clementine. So <laughs> yes. what were seen as like her you know, fun dance in the right times are actually like, wait a second. Of course there's more. She's not just this one um, vision. Like we, she's not one-sided. We have depth to her. We have a history for her. We have 
things that she does. So um, in an article on FlavorWire.com titled Eternal Sunshine Destroyed the Manic Pixie Dream Girl Stereotype Before It Even Existed, writer Allison Herman explains the disillusionment of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl in the film, saying, as we're taken through the lowlights of their relationship, the audience learns that the booze she pours into her coffee isn't an endearing quirk. It's a sign of the drinking problem that led her to total Joel's car. She's mercurial, irresponsible, and resentful of Joel to the point of being outright nasty. And of course, she's repeatedly described by herself and everyone around her as that term more associated with the Manic Pixie Dream Girl than perhaps any other impulsive. Uh Um, Which, again, is why she did the situation. Um, She just gets in a car and drives off to who knows where. She just always needs activity, attention. Like, if we're going manic, (laughs) she definitely... She leans into the manic of the manic pixie dream girl. Yes. Trope, yeah. Um, feeling a little maybe undiagnosed bipolar <laughs> or yeah. multiple person. Like there's a lot happening that she's not addressing. And instead, she's trying to go over with, uh, you know, excitement and alcohol and other yeah. ways of distracting herself from herself. Um, like that anxiety of like I'm not doing the best with the time that I have has. Uh, was quirky at first (laughs) this way of inviting him to start taking up more of his life but then you're like oh no this is a literal anxiety that she has and so like she needs to make the voices quiet (laughs) so she's very loud you know um but even more damning is clementine's own resistance to the uh, manic pixie label even before the label is named so she explains to joel in the beginning of their first relationship that she is aware of the image that she leaves and the expectations that others put on her and she says too many guys think i'm a concept or i complete them or i'm gonna make them alive but i'm just a effed up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind don't assign me yours, which I really Mm -hmm. appreciated. (laughs) Like she, you know, is both like aware of these things, but then also falling prey to it quite often. Um, Like uh, uh, Patrick is definitely doing this to her. (laughs) Like he's a hundred percent being that person. Um, And while Joel is losing his grip on his memories, he remembers this conversation. And though then Joel works to dissuade Clem's fears, current Joel knows better saying, I still thought you would save me. So even though he was reassuring her at the time, like, oh no, it's not going to be like that. Like, I respect you as your own human being. Uh, Inside, he knew he was actually really looking at her to do that. Um, And losing that, like, understanding is one of the core problems because, like, without his memories, he wouldn't know that he had done that. So he's going to repeat that whole thing, which is, I'll get there. (laughs) But, um... Even in the midst of him erasing her, he relies on her, or at least his idea of Clementine. So I found that the version of Clementine that I liked seeing, the one that I felt like they made the most sense, like the only time I felt like they were actually good together was when it was the made-up Clementine version of her it's like that yeah. rick and morty episode um where they make like the ideal versions or not mm-hmm. the ideal but the versions of themselves and then they put um her i they put the thing on her ideal version of the husband and he mm-hmm. envisions this like ideal version of her because that's what she would have wanted 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, yeah. it's when they go to couples therapy, and it's yeah. like, and the, but the, the whole thing is that they're creating all these, and then they make these monsters, and it's terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> that's like that's kind of what it is. Like he made this not a monster, but his ideal Clementine, and that's the best relationship he had. <laughs> all mm-hmm. the other ones were like cute, sure, but I never felt like they really made sense. I was like, he's really boring and she clearly needs help. And I don't think they're doing that for each other. Um, which is like, you know, people are people. Um, but he, when he made this version of herself, I was like, this is the cutest that they've ever been. And it's literally his imagining of what she would do. So it's kind of like WWCD. (laughs) What would Clementine Mm do? Um, so he invents this version of her in his mind and enlists her to help to stop the erasure after experiencing those first moments of love once again. So he realizes he doesn't want to lose her. This is a bad mistake and they're not listening up top. So, you know, he tries to, to stop the process in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, and he sees her as he had when they first began um, and it inspires him to fight for her for them and what they had hoped to be. And in an article on Cinephile Fix titled Film Analysis, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, they summarize the power of the imagined Clementine quite well, saying, when they challenge the erasing process by hiding in childhood remembrances and other off-the-map memories, the escape route is always suggested by Clementine. Joel would never arrive to such conclusions himself, but he subconsciously asks himself what would Clementine do and acts upon it. So when she whispers that final line inside his head, what he's really doing is implanting an impulse, something Lacuna can't touch, and something he wouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. Right? Like he just, he's like Clementine, like she's always like, what if we do this? What if we go to your childhood? What if we go to a repressed memory? What if we go to an embarrassed memory? Um, and she's always like <laughs> taking him. The baby Joel moments are kind of the best. <laughs> she's like, baby Joel. Yeah. Um, well, it's also just on. like very much, he needs therapy to deal with the issues that he has with his mother and that that is not her problem to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's like, she um, won't hug me. She won't pay yeah, attention to me. Yeah, clearly has, like, issues that he needs to work through. Yeah. It's, like, such a thing. Oh. Yeah. It, and I think that's such an interesting thing for, like, he wouldn't have ever thought to look there, right? Yeah. But his Clementine look. I don't even know if he learned anything. So it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, but the procedure clearly isn't flawless and reveals that relationships leave something deep and ingrained within us, a mark that can't be erased. Um, and we see this with the side plot of Kirsten Dunn's character, a young employee of the memory erasing agency, Lacuna. Um, and I've found a cool fact here that the term lacuna uh, amnesia refers to the condition in which someone loses memory of a particular thing or event. So oh, like, fun. That's probably where it came from. Um, yeah, Dunst, uh, Mary has a girlish crush on the on her boss, uh, Dr. Mearswack. Mearswack. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is a man who's much older than her um, and to her, like, charmingly wizened, right? Like, she quotes all these, um, like, authors, not very well, right? But when she's doing that to her current boyfriend, uh, the Hulk, um, <laughs> she uh, uh, is, you know, telling him, and he's, it just kind of goes over his head. Like, he's yeah. not philosophical in that way. He's, you know, technologically smart, because he can, you know, do this Alter equipment. Minds, yeah. um, which is wild, but she, he doesn't, he's not satisfying that part of her that's, like, curious. Um, mm-hmm. And attracted to intelligence and when she starts you know quoting those things of course he knows um and so she's just like 
she's you know in love with this like older man that's has this ideal um and in a desperate move she kisses him and it's revealed to her that they've been here before um Mm -hmm. that they had previously been together um and she asked to have the procedure i don't think that's what happens um Later, Mary finds her own tape of her recorded interview before the procedure, and in a truly hills like white elephants conversation, Mary explains how the affair started, and her voice is frail and uncertain as Dr. Mirziak coaxes her forward. Um, And I say (laughs) hills like white elephants, I think, you know, Joel, who loves people who read books, would appreciate the Hemingway reference, Uh um, in which it's a short story, and they're having a very plain conversation, but clearly what they're actually talking about is an abortion. Mm. um and that's what it felt like it felt like yeah, yeah. an older man coaxing his mistress to have an abortion yeah what he's doing like it's that's what it felt like and it's like t- like two sentences but you can see that she's like uncertain yeah. and she's still fan like in this fantasy element of their relationship and he's like no you have to you yeah. wanted this um and later when she asked like did i look happy when you assumed i was together with him she was yeah so you know um so then mary then figures out that she has had been happy at that time and the idea of racing someone from your life is cruel and unusual punishment and so she mails everyone's tapes to them to reveal what they had lost mm-hmm. um And we actually see throughout how the eraser has greatly impacted Clementine's already fragile mental state. Mm -hmm. The missing moments and the holes left behind are nagging at her and she's convinced something is wrong. And especially because we don't quite, or I don't remember how much time they said these two were together, but she's definitely at this point in her life where she would have aged, (laughs) you know, like in a way that's very visible. Yeah. I think it was two years based on what they said and that they had like lived together and like all, cause he said in his journal, Joel specifically Mm -hmm. said he like he had two years where he didn't write anything and that's cause all the pages were ripped off. Oh, right. You're so right. Um, still that's like, you know, right? Like yeah. you would look in the mirror and you look different. And all of that time, like you've lived together with this person. So much of your life was this person. You have lost two years of your life. So you're waking mm-hmm. up two years ago. Yeah. Right? And now who is that? Like that, there's no way <laughs> that your brain is like, cool. Right. Yeah. Um. There, There's going to be that nagging. There's going to feel like these, there's these missing moments, the holes that are left behind and they're nagging at her and she's convinced that something is wrong. Yeah. Um. And our relationships, even the dark and harmful ones are a part of us. They are growth in our journeys and we don't need them, but we have lived them. Um. And yeah. I think that's something that's really important because I remember a discourse uh, online during Game of Thrones when Sansa had that really horrible arc that was just written in for stupid reasons in the show where she was being abused. Mm. And she had this whole conversation where she was like, it made me stronger. And everyone's like, no, (laughs) no, that's not, we're not doing that. And I completely agree. I don't think like people need to, to be abused and need to, like some people need to forget. Right. If yeah. something terrible has happened to you, some, that's how you protect yourself. Absolutely. Okay. Um, but I do think like we have lived them, right? Like, I don't think you deserve anything terrible to happen to you, but have those things happen to you, 
it is a part of what your life is. It is a part of who you are going to become. And sometimes we just have to reconcile that. Um, yeah. And I think that's the thing that they're missing. And mm-hmm. um, if we could just erase those things, like who are we? <laughs> if I didn't go through all the terrible things I went through in any of my bad relationships, I would not be who I am and would not have been the partner that I am to my partner. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't be ready for what I'm <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of growth that happened in the middle space so that you are okay to be in this situation. So you don't make the same mistakes. I would hate to be stuck in like this revolving door of like me still being the worst version of myself who allows myself to keep getting into these situations, right? Because there was a certain person of me who was, who would have found Joel's, right? Who would have been the manic pixie dream girl for these Joel's. And I would have just kept doing it if I didn't learn to -hmm. not do that. (laughs) So, and that's what we see. Anyway, um, the beginning of the film finds Joel in an act of unlikely spontaneity where he ditches work and he runs off to the cold beach of Montauk. Um, And this is because we learn later, uh, he that was one of the little whisperings right so um here he meets clementine not knowing this is a second first meeting and they keep catching each other's eyes but never interacting until they're on their way home when clem pounces on joel manically chatting away about hair dye color names uh and joel feels the soft pangs of interest the desire and attraction still there and they end up in a new affair discovering each other for this first second first time um (laughs) though the blissful beginnings is stopped short by the discovery of their tapes and with them they hear the worst of each other they see what they had become and what they'll eventually believe of each other and clem again mentions her manic pixie dream girl worries uh knowing he will get tired of her knowing he'll have these feel he'll say these terrible things about her like we didn't hear all of her tape but her tape was like he's boring i don't like what he made me become right yeah (laughs) like he's just like he doesn't do it for me. Um, I want fun. And then his is like absolutely destroying her whole entire character. Um, and also like insinuates things about her that I never ever like every time he said it, I was like, what? Where yeah, are you getting I mean, that? They were together for two years, and it seemed like at no point in that entire time period did he actually even kind of get to know her. Like maybe yeah. her likes and jewelry, sure. <laughs> yeah yeah sure. he did he did um, on a that superficial out. like oh i noticed her fashion mm-hmm. interests um maybe but like at no point did he ever actively or accurately interpret why she did things who she was or like any positive things about her other than yeah. like she's fun spontaneous and whatever it's the whole time yeah i think like um i think the one time i would say where I felt like they were connected was when he called her tangerine and it's when she, she colored her hair into the agent orange and they're like laughing. And it's very clear. Like he, this is like a thing that they have. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's cute. It's playful. And he has this name for her and it's, it feel, it felt really authentic and nice for them, but I do agree. It felt like Kat and I both mentioned it. Um, It felt a bit like this whole Miley Cyrus, Liam Hemsworth situation. uh, And Clem should have been out buying her own flowers. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's definitely him being like, could you, just, just not behave. be so much yeah just yeah. behave um <sighs> i've been there um <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally right and i think um yeah i think they they just they didn't really ever get to that point so i totally agree um 
But Sorry. at the end, Clem, after they hear these horrible things about each other and what they said about each other, so, like, you also have to understand, like, they're hearing themselves say that, too, and that's really mm-hmm. rough. Because, like, who hasn't said really horrible things about the person right after a breakup? Especially when you're in, like, that state where that person just forgot about you. You're going to get angry. Some people get really vicious in that way. Yeah. Um, and so they just have to see each other at their worst, and they just met. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you don't even have any of the love armor yet yeah (laughs) i don't know you but you were saying stuff about you know um and so clem mentions you know i I, i'm not gonna fix you like i got my own stuff she almost says it verbatim like it's the things she has to say a lot right and uh joel once again says he won't let that happen and we're left wondering if he means it or if in the end he'll find that he was once again still hoping she'd save him Mm-hmm. Um, because in the end, in their second first meeting, they were still very much the broken people they'd been at the start. Yeah. <laughs> the revolving door, right? They are vulnerable and hurt, yearning for someone to fill the holes they feel inside. Only now they know that those holes are shaped like each other. Um, and I read somewhere that a previous iteration of the script featured an older Clementine coming in for the procedure for the 15th time, showing that simply erasing someone isn't enough. Like it just showed like it was a kind of a framing of it where they're here it is again. Right. They just keep, Mm -hmm. you know, in this cycle of uh, unhappiness uh, and never learning from their mistakes or, you know, working on it. (laughs) In, in a healthy way. And I think I would have preferred that framing um, to some degree. I think it totally works the way that it does um, because it is kind of open-ended and you don't really know if them knowing how it ended is going to affect how it goes, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like if someone told me what they all the worst things about me and without having to actively feel the harm that came with that before, um, I don't know. <laughs> Because they don't know the, what the argument was. They don't know what happened. They don't know that they were both the worst people in the world. They just know that they both thought that of each other. Yeah. Um, but I think that uh, it would have been interesting to see the persistence and the doom of a flawed relationship. That simply knowing why something ended isn't enough to not have it end again. Or that erasing the pain and darkness of a relationship won't doom you to repeat it. Um I don't think we need bad things to happen to us, but bad things do happen to us. And when they do, we need to carry those memories with everything else because it becomes a part of us and who we will be. And that cinephile article sums up this feeling quite well, saying letting go is one of the hardest things a person can do. It doesn't mean they're giving up. It means they're moving on. We hold on to things we value as if they will cease to exist when we let go. But the truth is they won't. Letting go or giving up isn't an act of cowardice. Quite often, it's an act of supreme bravery. And eternal sunshine of the spotless mind tells us to accept things as they are and make the most of what we have when all hope is lost. And our ends are just as important as our beginnings. Yeah. I don't know. Your whole thing made me realize the reason I maybe didn't like this movie as much as I didn't like it is because I just really disliked Joel. Um, And that's its own thing. I've met Joel's. Yeah. I met many Joels. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And they suck. And it's, yeah. It just, <laughs> they, it's, they there's this like false thing where they like think they know a person and they just don't even just take the time or energy to actually get to know a person. So all their like little hot takes are just super unseasoned. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And well, I mean, not accurate most of the time. And 
yeah, they're just saying all the things like your insecure mind will say about yourself, but it doesn't make those things true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I but know. I mean, also like it is saying something that he's someone who's, who's aware enough to ponder, right? Like he's aware that he, he's boring. He knows that, right? He knows he's missing something and he's talking about it. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's something like, and that's, I mean, it's not the last step, but it's certainly a first step. But I also think it's important like in disliking Joel to also dislike Clementine. Oh, I also she was very much dislike Clementine. Uh, I <laughs> dislike everyone in the movie. <laughs> um, yeah. No, she was an entire problem too. I just think that, yeah. Oh, I get at, you're together. allowed, you're allowed. so mad and it's fine. <laughs> and I think um, that's totally valid because again, it's like, I don't think... And, you know, whatever. I can I can imagine people who would get this procedure where they oh for ex- sure to exist and yeah, this, young me even <laughs> I would have been in it. I would have been. I do. I don't. I have a very bad memory. It's almost like I have this procedure done to me all the time. People ask yeah. me things constantly. They'll be like, "Do you remember that time?" Nope. <laughs> don't. If you start a sentence with "Do you remember?" the answer is no. I do not remember literally anything i can tell you what i did yesterday and and don't take it personally please like yeah (laughs) no it's like a real thing uh i can't retain our brains will do that as a defense mechanism which i'll get into a little bit but it's like it is a really big thing where it's just like you see these two people who are very flawed and they're making it each other's problems and it's also just like young me i understand did not have the growth you know Mm -hmm. young me probably would have been like heck yeah you want me to forget and like little did they know it would go (laughs) away by itself eventually my memory is made of garbage um (laughs) but like it's super real and like you you realize that even if you're not getting this procedure you may cope with these things in different ways so clementine before she gets this procedure is actively coping with this with alcohol Mm -hmm. so like that was one of my coping mechanisms for a very long time as well. Um, I think it's a very early 2000. It's still you, anytime you could yeah. be coping with in to, like toxic things that you shouldn't be coping with. But I just know mm-hmm. that like young me also used that as a coping mechanism. And it led me to places that were very unhealthy uh, and did not encourage growth, but did mm-hmm. make me forget stuff. And that was kind of cool for a minute. Uh, but like, you know, people are going to deal with things how they deal with them. And this was very realistic. Did I think these characters were realistic? Absolutely. Um, But did I like them? No. (laughs) I don't think you were supposed to. Did I like their journey? Uh, Not really. I don't know if they really had a journey. Like that's kind of, kind of. But they don't. But they don't retain the journey. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Just someone telling you doesn't mean you know it now. Well, yeah, it's a very unique thing as a human person to learn from other people's mistakes. And when you separate yourself from your own mistakes, you don't learn from them because it is the same thing as witnessing someone else make that mistake and being like, you know, I get it, but I want to see what happens when I do it. You know what I mean? Because that's like a natural human thing to like not learn from other people's actions. You have to learn from yourself. People have to make their own mistakes. And when you separate yourself from your own mistakes you just totally take away all the learning and growth that comes with it so that's my little two cents um but <laughs> i learned some science words uh as i tend to do on the show uh, <laughs> and some of it's stuff i already do and some of it's stuff that's like oh it's kind of neat um and i, I already kind of i wrote a little rant about why i didn't like this movie 
but I don't know if I'm gonna say the whole thing. I'm gonna look through it real quick and see if we get there. So like I vaguely remember watching this in my early teen years and I had like a positive view on it. I know people who like love this movie. There's yeah. so many people who like vehemently think that this movie is the best thing. Um and it's okay. But I'm not one of those people and that's fine. Um <laughs> and it just yeah, it just hit really different in watching it this adult version. And uh, you know, also like I feel like if I watched it again, maybe I wouldn't as vehemently hate it. Uh I think it's just more so I really just didn't like the characters and I have a hard time enjoying media when I just mm-hmm. like the characters. But it did do really cool things with its shots and there's a lot yeah. the way they explored the brain was really neat. That's and really it was cool. it, it was objectively interesting, you know, it was cool, it was creative uh it was mostly the script that i did not care for and joel and clementine I did not care yeah. for, as well as patrick obviously yeah. um and uh, I, as i said it really just had like so many like unseasoned hot takes that just really were a reflection of the people who wrote it and that's fine we maybe aren't friends and that's fine <laughs> um there's not a single character that didn't suck and it's fine uh, and I think that's mostly just because of where I am on my own healing journey and mm-hmm. I can't watch things without analyzing them. But yeah, <laughs> so much of this film was toxic. It's very much a Gen X love story, which is not a love story that I would like to partake in. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they shouldn't be Talk together. Uh, most of the people who work there are predators and should be in jail. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I just feel like maybe i don't know for sure it just seemed like this movie gave a lot of people who like maybe would have had the logical take to be like hey we aren't right together we want different things Mm -hmm. but would try again because they're like well love might be enough and honestly my hot take the hill i will forever die on (laughs) (laughs) there are reasons things happen and we should learn and listen from those things uh and maybe that person who you don't get along with, do not have the same life goals, do not have the same aspirations, just do not mesh. And that's totally with, fine. Don't be with them. And that's okay because you experienced that. And now you can go find, now you know what you don't want. Listen to the part of your brain that says what you don't want and find something you do want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> find something that makes you happy that's what i want for everybody uh so yeah i guess it's just more so that it's like it like reinforced things that don't help people grow and that's fine mm-hmm. um but fun fact breakups do actually mess with your brain in a pretty <laughs> real way uh i learned about that and i also learned about that there's actual technology that could eventually be like fine-tuned enough to make you forget things you don't want to remember um and i also found a fun article that said that if you forget things naturally that just means you're smart (laughs) because your brain decides what's important information and what's not and if you're taking in a lot of important information it'll you only have so much space in here your brain's only so big so it'll throw things out that don't matter so that you have more space for the things that you deem to matter so, like, where your keys or your phone are doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things when you're actively learning about, you know, systemic oppression, Gabe. Sure. I think my brain <laughs> has its priorities all messed up. Yeah. It doesn't know what to keep. But, yeah, and it's also, like, object permanence and all this other stuff. Uh, it really, how you process information highly depends on how your brain operates and also how you process trauma. So, it's a fun fact. Uh, yeah. Well, it makes me think of uh, Inside Out. 
how yeah. they have that scene where they're like, oh, we don't need these memories, and they're like deleting them. And, and some like, of core memories. <laughs> they yeah. like want out of I was like, mine, my that section of my brain has the most employees, and they were just constantly just like delete, 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 delete. We don't need that. We don't need that. We don't what we are running out of space. We only have two shelves of yeah. space. We can keep everything is going in the trash. Yeah. No, I mean, Gabe, you're preaching to the choir over here. I have an entire <laughs> song blog of sad songs that every single one of them is, I can't remember people, and that makes me sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel you. Um, but how do breakups impact your brain? That's what we're asking. I'm going to answer some of that for you. So at the end of the day, trauma, as I said, in many previous episodes, is highly subjective and entirely dependent upon the person experiencing something. Um, a breakup can be traumatic to someone and is entirely dependent on who the people in the relationship are, how it ended, how invested both parties were, what were the, like, was it a sudden breakup? Was it over time these kind of things were their signs children you know? yeah do they have children have they been married the majority of their life there's like a, all the factors in their life really impact how it hits you afterwards um and in a really if a relationship is toxic abusive or otherwise problematic there's like an added factor that could make a separation both traumatic and life-altering um it really kind of wraps around this whole thing where like when you are dating someone depending on how long you are together um you're building a life with a person, you know, mm -hmm. you integrate them into so many parts of your life. You create foundations, supports, routines, all centered around another human being, or at least like influenced by. And the process of dismantling and losing these pieces can entirely disrupt your life, which is inherently traumatic. Uh, mm -hmm. This disruption can be exacerbated depending on the way your brain works, specifically like the traumas you've experienced already in your life, the other relationships you have around you, including your friends and family, as well mm -hmm. as like, are, do you have ADHD? Do you have autism? Are you neurotypical? Like those things all kind of influence how our brain stores information and therefore how we process Mm -hmm. uh, after events. Uh, and all these factors influence just how impactful a breakup can be. The loss of a partner through a breakup can be traumatic in an article on the insider titled breakups can impact you in way more ways than you think. Here's the science behind why they hurt so much by Sophia Mitrokostas. They say, when you go through a breakup, especially one that's unexpected, your body may register it as an emergency and go into fight or flight mode. Being in a state in this state triggers that release of hormones that can prepare your body to stay in the, in that space and deal with a threat or run away to safety, according to Very Well Mind. Uh, it can also trigger rapid heartbeat, trembling, and other like physical responses. Mm -hmm. um, essentially, staying in a space of fight or flight is also a space that will release toxic levels of cortisol. So depending on how long you stay in that place mm -hmm. uh can really impact your physical health there's a lot of research around that specifically we've talked about it before i specifically remember uh our turning red episode where we mm -hmm. talked about like the adverse childhood um, experiences as well as just like our ways that our brain will process cortisol and trauma and how that can if you stay in that space for too long lead to long-term health impacts mm -hmm. um so if interested in more information about that specifically, you can check out that episode. But uh, when it comes to a breakup specifically, the article quotes licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Kristen Bianchi, uh, stating that research has shown that regions of the brain that get activated in response to physical pain also get activated in response to a breakup. 
whether we've broken a bone or gotten dumped, many of the same underlying neurological structures are involved. This translates to the conscious experience of being in pain. Um, so like when you're really sad and you're lying on the floor and you're like, my heart hurts while you're crying, mm -hmm. it does. <laughs> it does. It you're does valid. hurt. Your brain is like literally sending pain to that area of your body. Um, and the article goes on to describe the ways in which a breakup can alter our brain chemistry. It goes like that deep. Uh, and that when someone goes through a breakup, they experience a drop in the production of the neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin that are associated with the feelings of pleasure and happiness. So they literally alter your ability to create those chemicals that you need. <laughs> To feel happiness again. Um, I'm sending a hug to all the people going through a breakup right now. Just, yeah. You know. No, it's real legit. Um, and it's like, you're not irrational or crazy. Like, this is science that yeah. supports the fact that this is actually deeply impactful. Um, and it all kind of ties back to the fact that we don't view mental health on the same level as physical health in our society. We just, there's not as much respect given to it. And that's like a problem because it's real. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, in another article from Big Think titled Using the Logic of Neuroscience to Heal from a Breakup by Jamie Bell, they go into detail on how our brains process love and process loss in a breakup. The feeling of being in love was known to light up the reward centers of our brain, releasing that dopamine, serotonin, and all those other feel-good body chemicals that support positive things. Um, and the loss of these feel-good chemicals can experience a level of withdrawal similar to that of drug withdrawal and how it processed and, and like how it's processed in our brains. So they say, mm. when we are in love, our bodies are actively producing those feel-good hormones and denying the release of negative hormones. And when the process suddenly stops, the withdrawal can feel extremely difficult to process both from an emotional and physiological level. Along similar lines, the parts of the brain that process physical pain can also light up uh, within the brains of those experiencing emotional pain from a breakup. Uh, in an MRI images of people struggling with a recent heartbreak, the parts of the brain that lit up were some of the parts of the brain that are active when you experience physical pain. Mm. Um, so the solutions for dealing with these emotional responses are easier said than done um, in that they require a lot of like intentional deprogramming. Um, you really have to be self-aware to make these like conscious efforts. You know what I mean? It's it's something that you're going to really have to like actively pursue. Uh, and sometimes when you're really sad or do not have the dopamine or serotonin, that's hard to get to. So it's one of those things that is easier said than done. Um, so it often includes uh, avoiding those visual, auditory, and other sensory cues. So treating it like an addiction, in a sense, avoiding the source. Mm -hmm. um, and avoiding things that will activate that like craving for that person. Um, so sensory indicators are like something very common in triggering trauma. Uh, so things that smell like things that mm -hmm. remind you of them, mm -hmm. things that look like them, auditory cues, music, songs. Don't listen to those songs, you know? That's why it messed up Clementine when Patrick was reusing all the things that Joel did or said. Cause yeah, it was that's why they said her. remove those things from your house because it's gonna mess you up. Yeah, <laughs> it was reminding exactly. her something is wrong. Exactly, uh, and you don't have the context. So you're like in that space, but like panicking cause you don't know why. Yeah. You're feeling yeah. all of this like, ah, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, these doctors should all be fired and arrested in that mm -hmm. uh, movie.
Yeah. <laughs> very, yes. very strongly. Um, but yeah, so they activate the parts of our brain. Anything that activates the part of our brain that stores memory and the sensory areas can trigger these feelings. So you want to avoid those. Um, it also says seeking out like alternative ways to release positive chemicals within your brain, like endorphins. Um, so uh, seek out physical activity, go to the gym, punch things, run around. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. do things that release those endorphins, um, eat foods that release endorphins, stuff like that. Uh, that can also help the process of moving forward. Um, and according to Dr. Winch, one of the biggest hurdles to recalibrating your brain and adapting to life without your ex-partner is that we don't find closure. Um, that's another piece of it. Winch suggests that we try to accept the reason for the breakup or even find a reason. Uh Maybe the relationship would not have worked out because you wanted different things in life or because they were not emotionally available for you. Finding logic and heartbreak can be a good start in the healing process. So another thing that's kind of easier said than done, but you can kind of create these things for yourself. That's kind of like why you have the tapes where you're like saying all the reasons you don't want to be with that person. Uh, You need that information because you need to logic your way out of it because breakups sometimes can feel very illogical, especially when you're dating someone who may struggle in communicating and self-awareness, or if you struggle with that yourself. Uh, Sometimes logic doesn't exist in breakups, so you have to create it. Um, Mm -hmm. And it can be especially challenging when breakups happen suddenly or without any like real conversation or logical cause that really stands out. So searching for logic, creating it out of thin air, whatever you need to do um, can be helpful in finding closure and not going back to that person. So trying to identify causes and reasons essentially will help. Um, And then the last little piece of my section that I found interesting is can people erase their memories? Apparently, like, yeah. (laughs) Like We're either there or we're close, you know? Um, So apparently the science for memory removal is there and or at least on its way. There are methods that are like ways of tricking your brain into forgetting things or just having a more positive connotation. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are ways memory erasure could be used to support mental health and equally ways it could damage mental health as we kind of see in the movie. Uh, It's really one of those ethical questions that Jurassic Park, should we? Mm -hmm. Because we can't. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm not not a scientist that will create these things. So I don't know if I'm the one to speak on it. But uh, it does seem we're kind of close to having the technology to do something somewhat similar um, to what was portrayed in Eternal Sunshine. Uh, In an article on SciTech Daily titled, New Technique Can Help People Forget Certain Memories by the University of York, they go through where research currently stands on using sound specifically to suppress and enhance memory during sleep. Uh, So similarly to how we saw Joel in the bed with the big helmet Mm -hmm. Um, while he's sleeping, uh, there's ways that specifically if you're in your deepest part of sleep, which fun fact is a narcoleptic, I don't spend a lot of time in. So this procedure might not work on me anyway, (laughs) but as a fun fact, when you're in the like deep sleep, so that part where you're like in your subconscious, essentially, that's where your brain Mm -hmm. is processing the memories of the day that just happened, as well as like kind of all the little memories that live within your subconscious. There's a way that they've found to use sound and sound cues like through music and other things to kind of erase or like suppress rather, I think is what Mm -hmm. they were kind of doing those memories and the connotation surrounding them. So while they are currently in the experimental phase of this research, it seems their findings are promising and using cues and to alter 
memories through sound. Um, in additional research, it seems there are a handful of ways to suppress memories, uh, specifically in an article on frontiersin.org that is like a super science-y title, uh, but it it seems like uh, it's like an actual study. Um, so neural correlates of direct and indirect suppression of autobiographical memories by Saima Noreen, Akira O'Connor, and Malcolm MacLeod. They state research indicates that there are two possible mechanisms by which particular target memories can be intentionally forgotten. Uh, direct suppression, suppression, which involves a suppression of the unwanted memory directly and is dependent on a frontohippocampal modulatory process and memory substitution, which I've seen a few articles on now at this point, um, which includes directing one's attention to an alternate memory in order to prevent the unwanted memory from coming to mind. It involves engaging in caudal prefrontal cortex, uh, engaging the caudal prefrontal cortex, and in the mid ventrolateral prefrontal cortex regions. So essentially a lot of the other things that I was able to find that are more about like that memory substitution is like if you have the sensory cues, like their car, your mm -hmm. ex's car, you have yeah. a very bad memory with this car uh, because yeah. it reminds you of your breakup. You see it and all you can think of is your breakup with your ex. Mm -hmm. uh, what they basically say is to look at the car and try to force your brain to think about a positive memory, even if it has nothing to do with that specific person. Maybe mm -hmm. that car took you to the beach. Mm -hmm. So you're remembering how nice it was to go to the beach. So instead of thinking of the breakup and having it like as a trigger, now you're having this like visual cue to remember what a great time you had at the beach. And it's kind of like deprogramming your brain uh, into having a positive context for the things that you're seeing, hearing, and otherwise. Um, something they've also said in like going through a breakup is you wanna have a more recent memory from those spaces. So kind of like alternately to what the previous advice was is actually like revisiting places that you went with that person so that you have a new memory associated with it and kind of forcing your brain to associate that memory with that space. So instead of thinking of your ex, you think of your friend that you went to get coffee with at the coffee shop where you had the meet cute with the guy that you broke up with or girl that you broke with or whoever you're breaking up with, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so you're kind of like tricking your brain into having these new thoughts um, and that that's something that works. There's also ways to do it sensory wise with smell. Uh, it all kind of ties back to sensory because that's most of the ways in which cues are sent to our brain to activate, you know, in PTSD and other uh, trigger based uh mental things it's all very sensory oriented so if you can trick your brain into having a new context for that sensory response you're kind of like forcing your brain out of that fight or flight response um do those things work the research does seem to indicate that there are ways in which it works it really depends on the person just like anything else um but there is a lot of research indicating that we're closer to something similar to uh <laughs> eternal sunshine for the spotless mind. Maybe not exactly. Um, I think from an ethical standpoint, there should be a lot of things in place, other methods, like it should be in addition to therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and there should be like a scale of what things you're trying to get rid of, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It shouldn't be as easily accessible as like, I found like one of the articles where it was like, the whole premise of this film was that this is easily accessible as Botox. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> it's yeah. as easily as plastic surgery and that's why like they kind of set it up in the movie to kind of look like uh like run down plastic surgeon's office yeah um, because the whole thing is like you're supposed to have this connotation that like 
the people going to this are looking for quick fixes uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the doctors doing it are doing it not to like help people. Yeah. That doctor was a predator, not a helping person. Yeah. Uh, they're not doing it to help people. They're doing it to get money at the end of the day. Um, so you, you would want in an ethical standpoint, you would hope that it would be done with actual wanting to help it would be covered by insurance um Mm -hmm. and other things like that so that it doesn't become this money game um where people are exploiting people who are in an emotional stress state for cash something i was thinking about was there's like a a song on tiktok that's going around everyone loves the um if we ever broke up i'd never be sad you know that one no Um, it sounds nice (laughs) it's it's pretty fun but i'm like whenever i hear i'm like why are you with that person if you're with someone that if you broke up you're not sad i feel like at my age i'm like that's a waste of time yeah <laughs> like, i'd be very 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 sad <laughs> yeah I'm completely wrecked at this point in my life but it's just like no and i'm also very sad i'm a big big sensitive baby uh <laughs> i'm always sad uh <laughs> so i it's it is a very catchy it's a fun song yeah well it's also like what is your motivation behind a relationship it's like those things are really important when you go into a relationship so if mm-hmm. someone's like going into a relationship for fun ideally they should be in a relationship with someone who's also going into a relationship for fun so if they're going in a relationship not to be sad then that other person in that relationship should have a clear conversation where they establish mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going into this so that we're both not sad at the end. You know, it was a good time for both of us. Yeah. Um, the problem is when the one person's like, when we break up, I'm not going to be sad. Mm-hmm. And then the other person's like, I wanted to marry you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So communicate in your relationships. That'll help you a long way. Uh, and mm-hmm. if it seems like it's not going to work out, like that's fine. Mm-hmm. let it not work out communicate set boundaries yeah. in the beginning <laughs> yeah and it's like when I think the one of the the worst conversations that they had when they were like breaking up is when she like mentions she wants children and he like makes this snide remark about how she would not be a good mom and like yeah I kind of agree because she definitely has a lot of things she has to work on but First. it's like it's, it's something that he clearly was holding and thought and is feeling and also doesn't feel safe to say that to her so it comes out in this way and then she reacts in the way that she does because she's defensive for it and it was just like that's something you've been holding you know like if you're yeah. holding some dark stuff about your partner you should go to therapy <laughs> you should talk this yeah. and also it's like one of those things that doesn't have to be like a permanent state of being he could have clearly said right now and that would have had a different connotation mm-hmm, than ever, you know, like, than ever. Is, yeah. you know? <laughs> like you just accept that people never change or grow ever. Like that was the mm-hmm. theme of this movie. Yeah. No one ever grow. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, that was like a horrible part of it. That was super sad where it was like super heartbreaking. Cause that's just clearly like... one of her insecurities. Otherwise she wouldn't have reacted that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like not communicating effectively or being honest about things either mm-hmm. it's yeah. a fun time i will say i will i will never defend the show the mindy project and probably i'm like one of the only few people who's ever finished it um but there is one scene in particular at the end of her and danny's relationship spoilers for a show no one should watch um where he essentially just like unloads on her and he says all these things like you know you're irresponsible you're this you're that you're that like just 
forever never seeing his own flaws and she's just like okay yeah i can admit that i got flaws she's like but i have always hoped that the person that i loved wouldn't just have a bag full of my negative pieces just ready at the ready to send at me like mm-hmm. at the very and that was like the like the only good line <laughs> of her show and then they completely ruined it because she ends up with him at the end anyway um yeah. and he never apologizes for that i just wanted i want that out there trash show anyway um yeah. but that one really hurt because i was just like that is it's so true if you have all these things in your pocket that you could throw at your partner that are really insidious and horrible you, that's time it's time to evaluate do you even yeah. like that person and who the answer is like? no. Yeah. <laughs> who, who do you like instead? Yeah. Who you like is a version of them in your head that walks you through your childhood uh, and <laughs> helps you through all your problems in your mind uh, mm-hmm. that doesn't actually exist in real life. And you shouldn't be with that person. Yeah. yeah. Um, Actually, that scene really made me sad. And the scene where he talks about how he left when they first met because he thought she was like crazy. And she's like, well, is it something I said? And he's like, yeah, you said it like, then go. So like vehemently. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm sorry. And when she said that, I don't know why, it made me really sad. Yeah. <laughs> because it it was not her fault. Like she clearly was not in a good place. And she's like, then go. Like you clearly think I'm a weirdo. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did. And it's kind of crazy that he even went to be with her. But yeah, just like, to be like, oh, I'm sorry. Because you don't know, because we don't talk about things. Yeah, and I think that, if anything, that's, like, a really clear indicator that, like, throughout the movie, at the very beginning, it was when they stopped talking mm-hmm. about how, like, because he was assuming her intention mm-hmm. the entire time and vice versa. Like, they never actually had, like, a why you say it like that kind of mm-hmm. conversation, which would have really helped um, they, if they had that actual interaction where it was like, oh, I I wasn't trying to hurt you in that moment. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to yeah. say it with that kind of like anger. And then they can both sit down in this beautiful time and explore why she said it that way. And then yeah. they'll actually learn about each and other. Why he took it that way. And why he took it that way. And like maybe it ties back to the fact that his mom never hugged him as a child. <laughs> and I'm sure it does. And there's just so much that they could have unpacked. And they can't they because do. they don't have those memories anymore. No. All they have is him saying she don't read books. You know, like <laughs> even in those those tapes, mm. he, he's not gonna he had that epiphany while it's being erased so he didn't have that in the tapes they don't know they don't know that any of that and no one else does only they would so it's sad um it's a flawed film just like people are flawed i think it is very beautiful and i and i and i think it's that it's not flawed because it is it's not an answer it's not supposed to look like it's working it's not supposed to look like this was the right thing to do it's just a human thing to do and it's a human thing to happen and decisions to make because people are reckless like that and we're here only as long as we're here we make these decisions you know um because everything feels so much bigger to us on this individual scale so i think in that it is a great film (laughs) it is it was a very real relationship very realistic very true to what humanity is it didn't try to sugarcoat anything it didn't try Mm -hmm. to it didn't try to romanticize it until the end to me and they did but it's fine i think it still like left it up like yeah we don't know 
we don't know what they do. We don't know what happens to them next. Yeah. Um, we don't know if they ever, you know, read, listen to the rest of the tapes. Who knows? Yeah. Um, or what I happens hope they to grow. the rest of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope they grow too. Um, I hope if you are going through a breakup and you watch this film that it it teaches you not to erase those things. I think watching it in a breakup would probably be a really different emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it the Manic Pixie Dream Girl element is really great. It's refreshing to see someone flawed um, and not, and like for him to be like, you're right. You can't fix me. I'm, I, I'm messed up. You can only um, fix you and that's okay. And that's all I should ever ask of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, now I'm thinking about it. I think it's a good movie and I'm looking forward to the rest of this series. Yeah, this is fun. Love. It's so, been interesting. Mm-hmm. Next week, we'll be talking about season three of You, and I can't wait to talk about Joe <laughs> and love. I get to play love, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. I'm always playing her. And they they don't talk about things in a different way, you know? Because they talk about a lot of things, uh, but it's in a very different way than the things that they don't talk about. Uh, they're very action-based. They're yeah. impulsive in a different kind of way. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about um, them. They're my favorite. Season three is my favorite. It's so yeah. fun. I can't wait. I'm only on episode one, so by the time we get to that episode, I'm very excited to see how far I get into this. Yes. <laughs> I have opinions about it. It's going to be fun. So I look forward to it. We're also going to talk about friendship uh, relationships as well. And just like, you know, people impact other people all the time. We mean a lot to each other, even if you don't want to yeah. admit it. We're not like humans are just made to be social, you know? Happiness only real when shared. Chris McCandless. Yeah. RIP. Uh, <laughs> person is hard. And when yeah. you don't under, if you're nervous by seeing and you don't understand other mm-hmm. people all the time, that can be really hard too. Yeah. Good luck out there. Dating's hard. It's, it's, uh, as what's the song? <laughs> it's the season, you know, the, the dating season. The yeah. SNL skit. Oh, uh, it's, uh, it's coffin season. Yeah, it's coffin season. Yeah, so if you're dating. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like when you get a puppy for Christmas, you know, because you're like, or like a Valentine's Day, and it's like, those are a commitment, okay? Yeah. It's a big deal. Same thing with a person, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Don't you just, it's just it. season. Don't just grab big boy. Yeah. You Treat the big boy, the boy nice. And yeah, you want to like know like their heart too yeah. and their minds. You want to like all of it, and you need to communicate. Yeah. Everyone in your cuffing season, be honest about what you want out of the time. Yeah, don't be That's breaking so. hearts. <laughs> well, don't get married. We'll eat your kids. We'll eat your kids, or you you they didn't want kids, and you did, and you should have definitely talked about that before you got married. Before they did that, yeah. <laughs> big old big old conversation. 